Good morning. I'm Dan, one of the pastors here. So good to see you here this morning to worship with you. We're continuing in our series in the book of Acts. It's my privilege to read the scripture today, which comes from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and also chapter 2, verses 38 to 47. Please give your full undivided attention to the reading of God's holy word. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. This is the word of God. At this time, please give your attention to the preaching of God's word. Thank you to Pastor Deepen. Thanks be to the word of God. As we continue to go through this act series, if you happen to be half asleep or you've gone missing the last couple weeks, uh, we made a huge, uh, we made a huge announcement uh, right here in Sunday service and through our video uh, feed. Six years ago, CCSE launched its multi-site campus model uh, in order to accommodate our growth over at Artesia and to invite and reach more friends right here in Fullerton. But over this past year, with unanimous joy and prayerful confirmation, we are now commissioning a couple of our very finest, our very best, Pastor Daniel Dingo Kim and his wife Priscilla, to church plant at the Artesia campus. Safely, this is a top three moment in the life and history of CCSC in terms of uh, significance. And I'm going to review for us very quick, a couple weeks ago, why church planting is better than what we used to do. Why church planting is better than what we have been doing, which is called multi-siding. Okay, so just a quick review to start off. Three whys. First, uh, church planting, if you remember, is the New Testament vision, and it is the most effective way to spread the gospel. Church planting, as given in the book of Acts, is the vision of Apostle Paul and the New Testament apostles for spreading, uh, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. There were three stages to that. If you might remember in Acts chapter 14, first stage, evangelize. You need new conversions. Second stage, 
Then they would congregate, congregate, come together as churches. Third stage of that is to recognize and organize new churches under new leaders. So first, why is church planting better than multi-siting? Well, it's the New Testament vision. It's the most effective way. Second, second, uh, church plants best attract and reach non-believers and the non-churched. On average, it is reported new churches reach non-believing friends three to six times more than older churches, especially churches that have gone for 15 years and beyond. Second, why? Best attracted reach, the non-church and non-believing friends. Third, third, church plants recognize and raise new leadership. Recognize and raise new, uh, new leaders. Now for Artesia, there's a core team that's being assembled. I happily applaud and invite all of you who are interested into that church plant over at Artesia couple of our best are going. Some of our very best have already committed. But this also means church planting over in Artesia, we get an opportunity to recognize and raise many more leaders right here at Fullerton at HIU. All right. That's a review of the first three. I've just got four today. Pretty quickly. Four more wise. Here's reason number four. Church plants expand the kingdom of God best. Okay, expand the kingdom of God best. Now by this, I mean sheer numerical growth. Just sheer numbers. This is the first mass evangelism rally or crusade. This is the first most Christocentric sermon delivered by Apostle Peter. Of course, the Holy Spirit loves to empower and move through a Christocentric message of the gospel. And 3,000 people received that word, repented, and came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. 3,000 people. Now, how does God keep that going? How does God actually turn that, as we know through history, into exponential and global gospel growth? Look at verses 41 and 42. Verse, uh, verse 41, so those who received his word, Apostle Peter's word, were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Evidently, newborn Christian believers have a newborn devotion to the church. Newborn Christians have a newborn cry, an absolute desperate need for their needs to be met in and through a church community. And there are four essential needs that are met in church. Look at this. Teaching. Babies need to be taught. Not only babies, but anyone of any age. We constantly need to be taught by the word of God. Second, newborn Christians, in order to survive, ought to be cared for. Identified with. Accompanied. Never left alone. Fellowship. Now, the following verses, after verse 42, describe such an intimate, earnest, vibrant church community that ought to challenge us all, where they were sharing and selling all their possessions and goods so that nobody who entered that early church 
could be found in need. Their fellowship was so deep and profound that not only they shared their lives together, they shared their wealth, their possessions. Now, a specific note on this. This kind of Christian community is far from a political or economic system that is mandated upon you. People willingly and voluntarily sold their goods so that people's needs could be met. Newborn believers, all believers, the essential needs that we need, you have to be taught. You have to be cared for. Look at third, the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. Over in the following verses, it describes breaking of bread again. So the early church is much like ours. They just like eating a lot. This breaking of bread is repeated over and over. It says regularly, almost daily in homes, people got together to break bread. Now here, there's a definite article. One of the commentators says, the breaking of bread, the breaking of bread actually has, has to do with what we're going to do today in about 20 minutes. It's communion. It's the Lord's Supper. And through sacraments, newborn and also middle-aged and older believers, you are fed with grace. What do all Christian believers need? You have to be taught. You have to be cared for in fellowship. And of course, you need to be fed. Fed spiritually in the depths of your soul, as well as fed literally and physically, regularly and even casually in people's homes. Last but not least, and the prayers, and the prayers. All Christian believers, starting with myself, you need to be covered, empowered, and protected by the Spirit of God who is poured out in the prayers of his people. You see, church plants now expand the kingdom of God best in terms of sheer numerical growth. Because after this description of four essential needs being met in the local church community, verse 47 concludes this way. Their hearts were pumping with praise. That's my own translation. The culmination of these four things going right, of having a vibrant, spirit-filled church community, is you are going to be praise-filled. They found favor with all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number. How did God turn 3,000 souls being saved through the apostle Peter? Through the church. Their newfound devotion and commitment to the church. And the local church living up to what she should be. Day by day, the Lord added to her number. Now, this far exceeds what Apostle Peter could do by himself. It far exceeds what Apostle Paul could do by himself. Did you know it far exceeds even what our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, prophesied about himself. He said, you're going to do greater works than me. What does he mean by that in terms of numbers and sheer geography? So a fourth reason why church planting is better than multi-siting is that it expands the kingdom of God best. Just sheer numerical growth. Here's number five. Number five, a fifth why. Church plants revitalize mother churches. Church plants actually revitalize the churches that give birth to these church plants. Uh, city to City is a network that was begun in New York. It has flourished. And here's an observation from decades of trial and error and experience. 
city to city, the vigorous continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for the continual corporate renewal and revival of existing churches in a city. Nothing else. Not crusades, outreach programs, parachurch ministries, growing megachurches, congregational consulting, nor church renewal processes will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. This is an eyebrow-raising statement, but to those who have done any study at all, it is not even controversial. The single most crucial strategy for the renewal and revival of existing churches in the entire city and community is what? Is to give away and commission and send some of your best to church plant. Now, I got to be honest with you. When our staff and our elders and our deacons and starting with myself began to think about and cast vision of church planting about a year ago, it is hard to describe to you the sense of new energy, new motivation, new joys, and excitement that has just begun. A couple of weeks ago when we shared this with our presbytery, the North America Presbytery, the West Coast, the response that was met with our plans to church plant Daniel Dinko Kim met with tears and with joy. The senior pastor of Cerritos Presbyterian Church about a year ago when Dinko and I wined and dined him, his response to our vision to church plant was again of awe and wonder that CCSC would be about more about building the kingdom of God than maybe particularly our own brand name. The networks that I belong to, Sola and Gospel Coalition, and the great friends that have been gracious to me over decades and decades, just mentioning this idea about church planting has only brought about the most positive and supportive responses. Why would this be? Planting churches bring about revitalization. Maybe three more specific ways of revitalization. Number one, church, new churches bring about new ideas. New ideas. There's no better way to teach older congregations about new skills, maybe more effective methods for reaching our friends or this next generation or new people groups than by experimenting and seeing what new churches do. New churches are like your R&D department. They bring new ideas. A second specific way it revitalizes mother churches. They challenge us to self-evaluation. The newness, maybe the success, the impact of what a new church can do often should stir and maybe humble and challenge Older churches. A third specific way that we might be revitalized. The new church may become an evangelistic feeder for the entire community. Now, what do I mean by this? If new churches become very good at inviting non-believing neighbors and friends, and you see them come to faith, newborn believers, for a variety of reasons, a lot of these newborn believers end up at the mother church. Maybe sometime down the road. But in any case, our attitude together to church planning is a test of whether we are about the overall growth and flourishing of the kingdom of God rather than our institutional turf. 
Fourth why? Church plants expand the kingdom of God best. Fifth why? Church plants revitalize mother churches. Here's number six. Church plants reset a healthier model. A healthier model for gospel ministry. A healthier model. Uh, Needless to say, uh, the game-changing reset button was pushed during the pandemic. At least four things like never before were brought home. Who could have imagined a world such as this? Work, shopping, exercise, entertainment. The pandemic reset our entire world where you can now work more from home, shop from home, exercise from home. You don't have to go to the movie theaters as much. Just watch it at home. Perhaps this leads to a better work-life balance, a healthier lifestyle. Well, there's been a couple of things that's happened across the landscape of church that are game changers. In the 80s and 90s, this whole concept of small groups came across. I know you may take it for granted, but by the 80s and 90s, it was a novel idea. Small groups was, oh, you know, people can and should meet midweek at their local homes. And it took off. For healthier, growing churches, they realized, oh, the concept of small groups is an actually essential, great thing among Christians to do, quote-unquote, mini-church in their home. Well, guess what? This was already given in the book of Acts. Regularly, they met at home, breaking bread, communion, as well as casual meals. They met and did church in their homes. Now, you see, church planning from the book of Acts not only helps us to recover healthy models, it helps us to repent of maybe and reset unhealthy models. I don't know if you heard this podcast put out by Christianity Today, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Mark Driscoll happens to be one of the most comedic, captivating, gifted speakers I've ever heard. It became an empire But sadly, the podcast talks about how it imploded. Mega churches with multi-sites for a host of reasons can implode. And those host of reasons actually happen to do with smaller churches too. Please don't demonize just bigger churches that they're really the most more wicked than the smaller ones. But for the bigger ones, one of the chief reasons happens to be is that it was too dependent upon one person. Mega churches and multi-sites tend to be too reliant upon one personality or one central figure. Well, listen to this in the book of Acts. Long before America or Korea or South Korea came up with mega churches and multi-sites, we have church planting. If there were ever a human being anointed and gifted and effective and Holy Spirit filled, then Apostle Paul, who could have just insisted, centralize everything around me. All the churches, all the people that I planted, they should actually still report to me. He refused to do so, and here's why. He helps us reset a healthier model. Church plants are proven to be sustainable, scalable, successful, and spirit-filled. Church plants over 2,000 years. And I don't think it's going to fade. It's not a trend. Until the day of Jesus Christ's own return, 
This happens to be a healthier, sustainable model. You know, Pastor Dinko and I have set forth the reason why we're church planning in both Artesia and here in Fullerton is because we want to become more local and focused, personal and present at both churches. It resets us for better and healthier ministry. Look at Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Church plants, we set a healthier model. When they, they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. How did Apostle Paul commit the people whom he loved and cared for with really all of his life? He committed them to local, organic, chosen, anointed, godly elders or leaders in every church. The fourth why, church plants expand the kingdom of God best. Fifth why, church plants revitalize mother churches. Number six, church plants reset a healthier model. Number seven, last one. Last one. Maybe the most vital and important. It might be a repeat, but that's good. That means you're paying attention. Moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Pastor Harold, really, I mean, honestly, is there some agenda, some ulterior motive you got here? Well, why, why, why are we church minded now? I think it's a move of the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 reads this again. Here's the promise. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit of God is promised to move and meet you where? The Holy Spirit is promised to meet you doing what? His mission, not yours. His power is for his purpose, not yours. The supernatural power of the Holy Spirit loves to empower anyone who is about his mission not yours. The Holy Spirit has never promised to make you the best version of you. The Holy Spirit has never promised to give you power to fix your family and fix all your kids. The Holy Spirit has not promised to make you the most well-adjusted, the most sociable, the most at ease, the most non-anxious person. The Holy Spirit has never promised to build your net worth, build a family and legacy, Make sure everyone's safe and happy and secure. The power of the Holy Spirit really primarily has nothing to do with those things. But the power of the Holy Spirit loves to be poured out on anyone who really wants other people to meet the risen Savior in God, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit loves to empower and inspire and make you more creative through your works of art. How you manage people. How you go about your construction projects. How you teach in the classroom. How you neighbor. How you volunteer. How you serve. And of course through your very words that may point back to Jesus Christ. Why in the world would a church, church plant, rather than just keep it all together... I believe it's because it's a move of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here is the gospel for you. Because, man, we really need the gospel, which means good news. 
if this message, or quite frankly, the last couple message, messages, trigger zero interest on your part. You just can't wait until this kind of stuff is done. Missions month, church planning stuff. Let's just get this over with. Or maybe some of you feel very vulnerable, scared, okay, or insecure about this. You should be going out by the power of the Holy Spirit to talk about or show that Jesus has risen from the dead. Maybe a few of you are actually upset. You feel kind of called out. It's like, dude, get off this topic. Get off this theme as quick as you can. I've got great news for you this morning, okay? And I'm happy to announce it. You don't have to do this sermon. You don't have to do anything. Truth be told, you don't have to do nothing. For God to continually, infinitely, and forever love you. Did you ever know that? Did you know you don't have to lead or host or serve a small group? You never have to evangelize. You never have to go on missions or be about missions. You certainly don't have to become a martyr. You don't have to go and be a witness. You don't have to do a thing. The gospel is that God infinitely, unconditionally loves you based upon what Jesus did for you. It has nothing to do with what you can do or what you haven't done. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you heard that correct, I want you to take that home. I want you to give some serious thought to that. I want you to talk about it, listen more to it, ask questions about it, discuss it, maybe even dare pray over it. Why don't you go home and actually pray over, God, you actually still could love me even if I don't do anything from that sermon or have anything to do with basically all of the sermons I've heard all of my life. Really, oh Lord, you can love me just as I am. And I will tell you, amen and amen. And when you go home and think and discuss upon these things and pray over these things, and if and when the Holy Spirit of God should fall upon you and make this gospel so good, make this message truly good, that it lights a fire in your heart, then it's going to be an adventure for me to see how long you can keep it to yourself. I don't think I've ever met anybody who had the gospel become truly good news to them that can for the rest of lives, rest of their lives, hide it and contain it to themselves. Man, I love you. And you know how many of you I've met and you have no problems. Like you lose all shame. You don't care about how people react. You don't even care about what they think. Even some people, you get, they get tired of hearing the same thing from you. But you go on and on and on and rave about that restaurant. Because it was so good. You can go on and on and on and rave about that sporting event. Because it was so miraculous. 
You can go on and on and on and on about that show, that drama series, or that concert. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit takes the gospel, and he does that with the gospel in you. The Holy Spirit loves to take who Jesus is and what he has done to unconditionally, infinitely, and forever love someone like you. And he lights a fire to it. And it's a fire you cannot contain. You know, this is why Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to Jews and Gentiles alike. Apostle Paul, Jewish, Middle Eastern, according to Philippians chapter 3, lists off his pedigree, his education, his lineage, all the factors that most of us may pride ourselves upon in terms of things you can brag about, who you worked for, what school you went to, what kind of networks you keep. And here's what Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, all the things I used to boast about, all the things I used to pride myself upon, all the things I used to find my identity and worth in, garbage. Absolute garbage compared to what Jesus Christ has done for me. And so therefore he stood before kings and rulers and governors and soldiers, before prison guards, before his own countrymen, before foreigners, traveled all the Davis' life, and he lost all fear and shame. Because the Holy Spirit made this gospel too good to be true. Too good to be true. You know, about a year ago, with Pastor Daniel Dinko and I, when we were talking about this vision to church plant, here was Dinko's honest and first reaction. He was awed. He was overwhelmed. It's almost like shock and awe. He felt daunted, but he still desires it. His wife Priscilla, when she first heard the idea that she, along with her husband, might become church planters over in Artesia, here's what she said in effect. It's going to be so lonely. It's going to be so lonely. I went home that night and wept. Because I thought, wow, what a realistic, savvy, but sad, beyond her ears is, Pris uh, is Priscilla. But she still wants to do it. And here's the signature move of the Holy Spirit. You ready for this? You ready for how you know the Holy Spirit is really moving in you with power? You are broken down but emboldened. You are humbled but hope-filled. You kind of feel crushed but more confident at the same time. Can I be frank with you? If you're Asian American here, most Asian Americans only like to be one part. You're pseudo-humble and pseudo-broken. You're a product of culture. But man, if you become a product of the Holy Spirit, you'll be both.
Oh, I can't do it, Pastor. I'm so scared to do that. I've never done something like that. I'm not good at that. I actually won't be great at that. I don't think I'm going to excel at that. Guess what? I'm not good at that. I'm not natural at that. I never thought I'd be doing that. I can't believe I'm still doing it because it's not natural. Maybe you and I can experience the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's the supernatural presence and power of the Holy Spirit that moves you to be about his mission, no longer your own. (laughs) The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God makes you and I less and less and less about you, but makes you more and more and more about him. About him. Jesus Christ, who's risen from the dead. Let me pray for us as we come to the table. Father in heaven, thank you, O Lord, for this word. We thank you most of all for the presence and power and the movement of your spirit. And now as we come to the table, Lord, would you meet and empower and fill your people to become your emboldened, winsome witnesses to the end of the earth. O Lord, hear us as we pray this. In Jesus' name, amen.